Okay, everyone, welcome to the Respect the Math podcast brought to you by Reliable Tech Help. For all your IT needs, call Reliable Tech Help at 502-797-7399 or visit our website at reliabletech, that's T-E-K, help.com. I'm your host, Digital David Snyder. Here at the Respect the Math podcast, we talk about everything from technology to business, science, popular culture, and more, basically the things that I'm interested in because I'm kind of selfish that way. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, and podcast apps from Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Pandora, iHeart, and others. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and or share it with your friends on social media. Today, our guest is Lisa Lee. Hello. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Lisa's with the Genesis Shop, and she's going to tell us more about herself and her business. Okay. Um, I'm Lisa with the Genesis Shop. I've, I own the business. It's locally owned. Uh, we're not franchised, and I started the business. We're going to be 12 years old this October. Um, and I basically started the business because of a family problem that we had with substance abuse. Um, um, one of my children suffered from uh, opiates, and back way back 15 years ago, people didn't know what opiates were, were going to do. Mm-hmm. And he had a track injury, and they prescribed him um, opiates. And then about a month later, he had all four wisdom teeth pulled, and they prescribed him opiates, and he went down that rabbit hole. Mm. And through that period of time and trying as a parent to navigate the um, treatment community and getting resources and helping, um, it was just an uphill battle. There was There's such a disconnect between... Um, the problem and the resolution. So I, I saw a deep need for prevention mm-hmm. in our community. So that's how Genesis kind of got born. Uh, born um, that um, I saw that we needed to kind of help and see what was going on in the community. So I reached out to um, a nonprofit called um, Operation Parent, and they work to um, let parents know what their children in middle school and high school are doing. Um, as far as like sexting, uh, drugs, alcohol, you know, curfews, all of those things that parents are facing. So I partnered up with them and said, let's start some prevention. So I resourced um, in-home drug testing kits. And, um, you know, that was, it's a hard thing for a parent to drug test a child, but it has to be done, particularly in these days and times, because they're exposed by the time they're nine years old. Mm. So, um, so through that process, I had parents saying, well, can you come talk to us at my business? And so um, I started doing um, some speaking engagements, and then employers were asking, well, can you help me write a drug-free workplace policy? And at that point, it's like, wow, there really is a disconnect here in the community. And so I began writing policies, and, well, what can we do now to prevent now that we have a written policy it's like drug test you know we're not trying to catch anybody drug testing but we're trying to prevent and watch for signs and traits had I known as a parent what the signs were and you know all the little paraphernalia that was around that you know something as simple as my spoons were missing Mm. is a trigger and um, empty pen, you know, cases and casing, taking the ballpoint pen out, you know, that's used to, you know, snort all kinds of substances. So mm-hmm. um, from there, um, Genesis really just blossomed. Um, and now I'm, I help employers with their drug testing policies, their prevention policies. Um, we go on site to do their testing. Um, and it's just, it's an all around good feel um, to know that you've created a safe 
environment for employees and um, their environments. That's a great intro to what you do. A um, couple of notes I made here. Um, you had a personal story impact you very deeply, yes. and that's what started you on this mission. Yes. And a lot of businesses that are success- successful over the long run start that way. Either it's a personal story or it could be a problem that you personally saw and created a better solution to, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It also sounds like the Genesis shop has been very, very organic. You said, we started here, and then people said, well, what can you do with this? So we moved on to the next step and so forth and so on. Right. Before we get deeper into that, I want, want you to mention um, exactly what the Genesis shop does. Um, primarily, it's drug testing, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. But you don't stop there. You offer a lot of other support options. I do. Um, you know, drug, te- drug testing is the first step, um, but you have to incorporate continual drug testing, uh, random drug testing to keep an environment clean. Um, we go in and do a reasonable suspicion training for supervisors um, mm. so that they know what to look for and in the workplace because... With um, marketing and such now, um, particularly with the gummies and uh, those kind of things coming into our market, they're here, they can be laying on your desk and you would just walk by them thinking it's a a pack of candy. Mm -hmm. Um, So we really get in depth. Um, I stay in touch with the treatment community to see what's coming, um, what they're seeing, because then that's going to start impacting our community. Um, I do, I just now started training um, employees and what to look for in their children. So I'm still formatting um, what that's going to look like, but I have been asked to um, create that so that we can educate um, their their base. Because if I'm working next to you and I see a trait, then we need to um, talk to somebody about it. Yeah, it sounds like you're equal parts lab for do- processing drug uh, screens, but also equal parts education. Yes, yeah. very much so. Um, I'm always reading new information that comes out. I've subscribed to just about basically anything that goes around substance abuse. And then on the other piece of it, there's um, market segments such as like the um, hotel industry. They like to do their testing in-house. So they purchase kits from me to do their own testing. Um, I'll show them how to do it, train them, support them. And um, it's a real quick process. They get an instant result. So there's a lot of different variables um, to what I can do and provide for drug testing needs. Um, we work a lot with the Department of Transportation. Um, out of the, we work out at the airport. We um, have trucking lines that um, we are we service and go do random testing for those entities. Okay. We mentioned a few terms earlier. I want to clarify those for the audience who might not be aware of them. You said opiate. That's also described as opioids. And uh, I'll set this up and you can be more specific about it. But essentially, around the late 80s, 80s, early 90s, the pharmaceutical companies came up with some way to synthesize basically synthetic heroin. And they started issuing that in the form of pain management medication. We all know the names, Oxycontin, Oxycodone, Hydrocodone, etc. And that was a real turning point, I think, because you mentioned in your case, your family member had a legitimate injury, got a legitimate prescription mm-hmm. for pain. Mm-hmm. And that person either has an addict's mind and they're hardwired that way or they're not. And they get that first taste or two. And it's a struggle the rest of their lives, right? Yeah, it, it basically, um, for anybody that doesn't have that addictive brain wiring, 30 days on an opioid is going to create a problem. 
That's just science. That that's what it's told us. For people who don't have it. That's correct. It's that addictive. Oh, wow. Yes. So you'll, be, you'll become one if you use it for at least 30 days. Right. Okay. Right. Didn't know that. Right. And th- those that do have that addictive wiring, it could be sooner. But that 30 day is when that turning window is going to happen. Mm-hmm. One thing we mentioned, too, um, your business being success- successful, uh, a key to that, I would think, is you're genuinely helping people. Yes. Somebody could look at you and say, oh, well, she gets people in trouble when they when they don't pass a drug test. No, this is to help them. That's right. Passing a drug test and learning how to deal with addiction is a benefit, not harm to someone. That's right. And I'll give you a, a, a case point. Um, um, there was a manufacturing uh, client that uh, we worked with that they knew they had a drug issue in their facility. And they had three shifts. So there were approximately 80 people that we needed to test. And when we started testing the first 10, there were four people positive for some substance. That is just unheard of. 40% of your first? Yes. Wow. Yes. So, you know, statistically, uh, you would have one in 10. So that's kind of the across the board. One in ten people are going to have in trouble right. in that in that area or drug tests just, in general. Just in general, okay. one in ten are going to be positive. Okay. Um, so with that case, um, we stopped completely because they were going to lose workforce because they had a no tolerance policy because they were safety sensitive. Mm-hmm. So we worked with them to um, implement a second chance program, and in doing so, there was one of the the first 10 group that um, they really wanted to keep him because he was a hard worker. He showed up all the time, uh, never caused a problem, but he was positive for THC, which is marijuana. And so we worked with him to um, get him some counseling. And then I came back every single week and tested him just to make sure that, you know, he was on the right track. Mm -hmm. And after about six weeks, we had a total negative, no substance in his system whatsoever but he had signed a document with them that we created that for the next six months he would remain testing so we would you know inevitably test every one or two weeks or you know whatever they had assigned us to do and through that process I got to know this young man he has um, a family he has four children small children and he just said I do it to relax the anxiety you know four kids running around what and what and that and um so at christmas time came around it was one of my last visits with him and um i bought his children uh toys for christmas because you know you get to know people and you know what they're doing and he gave me the biggest hug and he said i can't tell you how much i appreciate you helping me through this journey and i'm so glad that i don't need that anymore so i get those heart-wrenching stories quite a bit for everyone listening that is an example of your passion and your dedication and also the difference you can make in people's lives I would think that would separate you from a lot of your so-called competition in the drug screen. Yeah, uh, I, you know, I really do because I take a personal approach to it. Every client is different. Every person that I'm working with is different. I don't have that cookie-cutter process going on. I'm, I have the ability to work outside the lines. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the Second Chance program. Can you talk to us more about that? Yeah, um, and going through what we did as a family, um, you know, there's so much good resource material out there, and <clears throat> and putting that together and uh, putting that into a policy, we encourage employers, you know, let someone go to treatment, let them go through the counseling process, whether it be inpatient or outpatient. Some people can go through outpatient. That's what my son did, and it mm. worked beautifully. So by providing them those resources um, with an employee assistance program, 
people can get the help they need, everybody deserves a second chance. And you're able to kind of fine-tune a, spe- a specific second chance pro- program for an employee, employer, mm-hmm. based on their circumstances, correct? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I think, um, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be where I am in life if had not had I not been given se- several second chances. <laughs> exactly. uh, I think we've all made some mistakes we regret and done yes. and said some things that yeah. we're embarrassed of. So yeah. I'm really happy to hear that. Um, one topic that's very uh, relevant right now, and it's going on at a, at a federal level and also a state level, is how we're going to handle THC. Right. I know you wanted to dive into that, so let's go ahead and do that. Uh, in, in interest of full disclosure, I used to partake um, a little bit in college, a little bit in high school, a little bit after that. Haven't touched that or alcohol in many years. I just I do better with a sober mind. Yeah. So I just that's just me personally. But I do think it's relatively harmless. That's my personal opinion. I don't okay. know about you. Do you know anybody that's died from emphysema from smoking weed or lung cancer? I no. don't. Yeah, no. I mean, I'm, sure no, there's, I'm sure they're out there. But. And absolutely no one in record has um, overdosed from marijuana. Right, overdosed and died. Right. That we know of. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the whole legalization movement, I am in, I am, I want it to be medically available to people that can't seek other means. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as recreationally, people are doing it already. That really doesn't, I'm, bi- I'm unbiased to that. Um, mm-hmm. Whatever people do on their own time is um, their time. Mm-hmm. What's happening, however, is um, how are employers going to treat this? Uh, somebody partakes over the weekend and we go in on a Monday and they're positive, there's really no way to tell what that usage window was. I have, um, since the last time we talked, um, partnered with a lab out in Denver that can do that. So I haven't sent anything to kind of see what their process is yet, but my industry is moving along to help employers when it it comes time to make that hefty decision uh, on whether they use it lunchtime or over the weekend. Is marijuana unique compared to other drugs that way? It's kind of hard to pinpoint when the person consumed it, when it might be out of their system or a lot of drugs that way. Yeah, it just, yeah, they all are. It just depends on one's body metabolism, um, their weight, their height. There's a, there's so much that goes into to see um, because your, your test results would be different from mine if we did it through a lab based testing. Mm Mm-hmm. With uh, marijuana specifically, you've got a lot of moving parts here. You've got what the federal government's trying to do with the decriminalization part. Right. And, and partially up to and including full legalization, right? You've got the states, you know, what they're doing. I'm sure individual cities have their own ordinances on how they treat it. Yes. And if that wasn't enough, you've got the individual policies of the employers. Yes. You know, and I would think that's a lot for someone in your in your field to keep track of. Um, and I would think that's also um, probably a bit of a moving target for you, right? It is. Um, marijuana is the number one thing we find positives on. And some employers of the mindset that just don't test for it at all, just ignore that panel. Um, I'm not really for that in a safety-sensitive environment. Um, You're operating a forklift or driving a semi-truck. That's a different story than answering phone calls in a call center, right? Exactly. And, yeah, yeah, because there's no telling what you might say to somebody. (laughs) But um, um, I did have a Not going to kill anybody. Answering the phone. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, I did have a client that someone was under the influence, and they were on a forklift and moving a big, like, pallet, and the pallet, it was from way up top 
and it came down and he mishandled it and it fell and he was injured. Mm. You know, so then you get into that issue of is workman's comp going to take care of things or um, is there, are they going to be on their own? So there's so, yes, there's many, many, many moving parts. And there's even more regulations involved in that specific situation because OSHA gets involved every time you have an incident like that, mm-hmm. you're forced to do a drug test, That's right? right. There's Absolutely. no, there's no way around that. Right. Yeah. And that's a good policy, right? Yes. You mentioned, um, from your perspective, and I would think it is a unique perspective being in the line of work that you're in. What's your official position on marijuana? I know we've talked before and you're kind of skeptical about recreational use mm-hmm. all in on the medicinal mm-hmm. people that are suffering, you know, you're all in on that from your, I want, I want people to understand not just your position, but why you feel that way because you see it every day. You see what most people don't when you're running these drug screenings and coordinating with these employees and these employers to get people back to work and so forth. Yeah. Um, again, medicinally, I'm all in for it. I wish they just go ahead and legalize it to be honest. Because On the medicinal side or uh, both. Oh, okay. All, yeah. Okay. I thought you had an objection board. to that. Maybe I misheard. You. I do, but you know, now that we're getting closer and closer and I'm watching court cases and just you know, do it and move on to something else more important. Exactly. Okay. Get it regulated like alcohol is and cigarettes are taxed. And just taxed. And so every state has the same policy because it does go from state to state and it's just yeah. nerve wracking. How does that work when the the federal government might say this is this 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 is legal fully, but a state or city says it's not? What does that what does that look like? It's the the federal government's going to override it. Okay, so generally the states and the municipalities and the city and the state cities will defer to federal policy. Mm-hmm. Okay, because yeah. I've heard examples in other cases where that's not the case. Um, but you think in this particular issue, they'll follow suit? Yes, I do. Okay. Yes, I do. I had a, um, my ex-husband for many, many years ago, um, smoked marijuana on a daily basis. And they say that marijuana is not addictive. Um, but it kind of is, um, Mm -hmm. it's a psychological addiction. It's not a physical addiction. Um, and he couldn't function without it. So, um, you know, there's, we just really got to put some perspective on it and some regulation on it you know a parallel there is that person who has you know two or three glasses of wine four or five days a week they might not be physiologically and biologically and chemically addicted Mm -hmm. right but if it's something you have to do frequently you're you're addicted to to some aspect of that exactly yeah you mentioned the person that said he smokes weed to help relax well you've replaced other probably more healthy means Mm -hmm. of relaxing and coping with your family life Mm -hmm. and work with something you know in this case, a substance, marijuana. Right. Um, what do you, What are some of the things you see? Um, one of the common terms we hear from the anti-marijuana crowd is the gateway argument that it all starts with marijuana. Next thing you know, you're eating mushrooms and snorting coke, and then <laughs> six months later, you're you know you die of a heroin overdose. Do you see do you see that? What's your position on that? You know. No, I don't know. It's okay. it's not. I it's not the gateway. It's. Pretty much eight and ten kids are going to try it somewhere or another. Yeah. And those that are prone to it will go seek other things. Um, but no, as a, as a hand, I mean, I've smoked it in my childhood. I never relied on it, depended on it. So I just don't see that as an issue. You made a point earlier about the marketing of it now that it's decriminalized and legal in some states. I wanted mm-hmm. to talk about that. They use these clever packaging, right? That it, it obviously appeal to children and teenagers. Yes. They're colorful. They've got 
symbols of cartoon characters mm-hmm. on them and things like that. What have you ran into in your line of work that troubles you about that? It troubles me because if they're left at home, and there have been instances and um, where a child has gotten a hold of them and they've eaten them all, and that can really play havoc on a kiddo. And not even the kid just thinks it's candy Yes, or exactly. Right? Yes, yeah. it, it does need to not be so appealing, um, but that that's their momentum right now yeah and so part of that decriminalization slash legalization process and then regulation and taxing would obviously be strict controls on how you can market mm-hmm. i remember back when i was a kid it was cigarettes that was the hot button issue yes and it was you had joe camel and i thought yeah. joe camel was cool, <laughs> cool right yeah yeah you had your little candy cigarettes yeah yeah he's driving and... <laughs> a convertible and he's got a beautiful woman next to him yeah. i mean that was uh it's hard marble man marble man yeah. the rugged outdoor <laughs> yeah. the yeah, man's yeah, man yeah. right you're not a man unless you have a cigarette yeah. hanging out of your mouth yeah it's in the alcohol companies too you know everybody's always partying and having a good time mm-hmm. and everybody's beautiful and uh, attractive and mm-hmm. muscular and lean and they're all drinking Coors Light or whatever it might be. Um, it's amazing that you can look back 20, 30 years ago and think, did that really happen? How how could that have happened? You know, yeah. <laughs> but it did. And it seems yeah. like we're kind of today, we're in that same area with these products. Can you talk about vaping? Is it, and we haven't talked about that and how that relates to this too. Because oh, that makes goodness. it even easier to be more attractive to people who... Yeah, the th- vaping, please don't do it out there. <laughs> it, it, it crackles the lungs. Um, and they're. When you say crackle, is that a medical term? Yes. Uh, I've never heard of that. But it, it, it's like uh, pockets in your lungs that makes it difficult to breathe. Huh. And um, cancer is more likely to come up. Really? Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. Um, you know, vaping, in, let's just say in the workplace or even driving down the road. Somebody could have a cartridge in there that's THC, and you would never, ever know it. Because they make an odorless version of yeah, it, too, Yeah, it now? is. Yeah. It is. Um, and they're used in the workplace all the time. Um, the way that I learned to tell the difference between a cigarette and a vape is the way the cloud goes up. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Ex- Explain that. Okay. Yeah. The cloud goes up. If somebody's smoking a cigarette, it's just a, a big poof okay Mm -hmm. like a white cloud in the sky evenly distributed just yes okay and the vaping has a swirl to it does it it really yes it does interesting as you exhale yes exactly no yeah sorry yes yeah as you exhale okay um the uh only study that i'm aware of as i have a friend whose uncle works for the university of louisville here and and he says we're not at the point this uh, this was as of a year or two ago at that time, they were not at a point where they could publish a study to say definitively that vaping is bad. Mm-hmm. But all the preliminary evidence they're coming up with, with uh, all this detailed research and studying they're doing, is, mm-hmm. is pointing to that. Yeah, And it's being marketed to people as, this is the safe alternative to smoking cigarettes. Yes, And it might be less dangerous than smoking cigarettes, but we all know... The longer we've been on this planet, when you substitute one thing for another, it has its own set of yes. perils and risks involved with that. And so I'm going to research the term crackling uh, as it relates to vape, uh, vaping because I'm not familiar with that. Um, what are some other common uh, You substance? may have heard, sorry, you may have heard popcorn lung. Maybe? I haven't. Okay. No, I'm going to look yeah, into it's that. It's the same thing, yeah. Interesting. Okay. What are some other uh, substances you commonly uh, show up, uh, you find on people's drug screens? 
Um, it really varies. Um, the, the main one second to marijuana is cocaine. Is it really? We did not see, when I started the business 11 years ago, we did not see cocaine hardly at all. And what, when did you start it again? 11 years ago. We'll so be, not until a decade ago. Right. Right. Huh. And just in the last two years, we have seen a roaring comeback. Really? Yes. Do you know why that is? Or It's readily available and it's um, cheap. Now it's not a, it's not the glamour drug that it was way back. Mm-hmm. Um, there it's more plentiful. Um, you know, with the smuggling coming from all directions into the U.S., it's easy to get it in. Is it more pure, like a lot of other dr- drugs have become? Yeah, but they still cut it. I mean, once it gets once it gets to the consumer, it's been cut three or four times, and okay. they're cutting this stuff with chemicals, rat poisoning. I mean, just. Stupid stuff. Baking soda. Nobody knows what they're getting. Um, And, you know, we've all been talking about heroin for the last five years and um, the illusion of it going away, and it's not gone away. It's still really, really bad. Um, In the workplace, though, a heroin addict cannot function, so we don't see a ton of that. Um, We see a lot of abuse with um, amphetamines. Um, people that legitimately take them for, um, you know, what their needs are. Or for, ADD, exactly, that kind of stuff. Exactly, yeah, Legitimate medical. Yes. Um, that those, like myself, I don't have it, but if I were to take amphetamines, I'd get such a rush and a high that I would want more. Mm-hmm. Um, we see misuse of um, antidepressant drugs. We, you know, we've just recently started adding that panel onto our drug screens because people do legitimately take them and but they can be abused what are some examples of those um well you got your barbiturates you've got your xanax xanax is the main one yes it's huge so um you know we just see kind of all over the place on those are you familiar with the term speedballing I am, but I couldn't really explain it to you. It's, I know John Belushi did. It's you know. killed a lot of people, I think, including Chris <laughs> They go Farley. up and they go down. Yeah, um, so it's a combination of an upper and a downer at the same yeah, time. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned... It um, just whacks your system completely. You mentioned Xanax. I know a lot of people take Xanax and it stomps them down and then mm-hmm. they eat some Adderall and it brings them back up so, mm-hmm. or takes some methamphetamine or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So And that in areas of our tri-state area, um, particularly in southern Indiana... Um, methamphetamine is bad, mm. bad. Is that typically rural areas? Yes. Lower, mm-hmm. cl- lower, ugh. unfortunately, lower yes. income, lower level of education. Yes. Yeah. And then obviously a heroin's pretty big out there too. In yes, the form it is. Of, um, prescription medication. Yeah. It's kind of scary when you walk through a employee parking lot, um, and see needles on the ground and a drug paraphernalia that they've discarded, um, and I'll just give you a, a little quick story. A very good friend of mine, a few years back, her her brother was struggling with heroin, and um, they thought he was, you know, on the right track. He'd been sober for six, seven months, and they found him in the parking lot of uh, an emergency room, and he had OD'd. He had two needles in his arm. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's real, and. It yeah. happens, and he died, unfortunately, but he was trying to get to the emergency room, but just didn't quite make, make it. make his time right yeah. out. And with Narcan <laughs> now, um, where they can bring them out of that overdose very quickly, addicts know that. Mm-hmm. They know that the EMTs are carrying it on their vehicles. They know that the hospital, I carry Narcan with me just in case. Do you really? Yes, I do. And so you're authorized to administer Yes, I do. It? It's a 
45 minute class that you can take through our health departments and they give it to you free. Mm. So I think, um, you know, particularly I'm out in the community every day, all day. So that's why I carry it. And um, in environments that I know that they're having issues, um, I carry it with me as well. And I've, um, I, I recommend it for people just who are out and about, but addicts abuse that. You mentioned Narcam and people taking advantage of that. It reminds me. Naloxone, Narcan, yeah. Okay, stop me if you've heard this. Apparently, in the last decade or so, with the proliferation of very effective and affordable and accessible uh, treatments for AIDS, particularly in Africa, people went, after they got used to taking those and feeling safe, Mm -hmm. they went on being more promiscuous, having less unprotected sex, and then AIDS flared right back up. Have you heard that? I have. Yeah. Yeah. I that's have. kind of a story, kind of a, a case study in human nature, right? It <laughs> is. You know, and that's the the muffler that's been put on um, on heroin is because there's not as much, but that it, it's not. It's the same, but Narcan is kind of like covering it up and, you know, saying, okay, we can fix this, but it's it's still relevant. And, you know, our media gives us a lot of that information, too. And the media giveth and the media taketh away, right? <laughs> I mean, for the first, you know, all, all of February and March, it was all Ukraine all the time, right? And now they don't even lead with it anymore. But no. the pe- people in Ukraine are still suffering. Yes, and, they are. Uh, I think that needs to be said. I think there's a parallel there to opioid crisis it's still raging you know it right oh i know you're on the front lines yes and um yeah and that's how i've kind of marketed myself is i'm i'm on the front line of of addiction and literally yeah and you know you can walk downtown or drive downtown in in certain areas and you see it i mean Mm -hmm. and that deep addiction creates some homelessness sure and you know there's people struggling that can't get help and, and then there's a vicious cycle. Homelessness creates addiction. Addiction creates more homelessness. And, and then yeah, it's just on, on and on and so mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a couple of things, uh, personal stories. I have two. Um, my best friend, he actually came on the podcast and talked about it last week. Uh, one of the nicest, kindest, most helpful and sweet people you'd ever meet, but he got caught up in the party scene mm. and it got progressively worse over time. And I saw it happening and I was like, oh my God, something really bad is going to happen. Well, it happened. He got really drunk and high one night, drove the wrong way on Gene Snyder Freeway, and and killed somebody. Yeah. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah, he served six or seven years between home incarceration and prison. Um, But he took that opportunity while he was in there to take to take and complete two drug rehabilitation courses. We talked about second chances earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, And he also uh, did uh, therapy and to understand why he was using because people don't understand the using is just a symptom, right? There's underlying psychological, absolutely underlying hurt, underlying psychological trauma. trauma. Yeah. yeah. A ton of that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, that, that touched me personally. And it's actually the main reason I haven't touched anything, alcohol or weed or anything. And almost, uh, I think we're taking almost eight, nine years now. Yeah. It, um, it makes a, a big impact and impression on your life. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the second one, um, my uh, former neighbor, neighbor, the house we lived in before this one, his name was, um, was I, won't, I won't say their names, but their son, I, I, another example, a really sweet kid, always helpful, kind, talk to you, um, always wanted to come over to my house and help me do stuff that I needed, and I'd pay him, and uh, just a great kid, um, but he got caught up in that stuff, and uh, you mentioned earlier with your story, the fa- family thought they were on the right track and things were going well, mm-hmm. well, they thought the same about him, and I was like, I always thought to myself, I didn't say it to him, I was like, uh, something's not right here. These yeah. people, wishful thinking, ignorance, whatever it might They're be. They're burying like, their heads. This kid was dead 
in January at the age of 22. Wow. From an overdose. They found, wow. Yeah. And wow. uh, that kind of hit home, too. And I, I saw how it impacted them. Yeah, I, I think my son, if we had not gotten it quicker or, or as quick as we did, he would have gone down that path. Mm. Um, that's just his hyper nature and, you know, just no fear. And I just, I, he says he wouldn't have, but I think that he probably would have. So we're thankful that um, we were able to get him the help that and real, real fast. So. Well, you know, the, the, uh, the, the kind of the, um, the only difference between someone who gets out of control and something really bad happens versus someone is out of control and it doesn't is people in that person's life that take an interest in it and look out for them. Like he's lucky to have folks like you that because yeah. for every instance of him, someone like him has the support that he needs from his family and friends. Mm-hmm. There's probably what, 10 people who don't. And we, we know how that's going to end, right? Yeah. You have to have a very good um, support system. Um, ongoing too. ongoing yeah. and um yeah once you stop the substance that's that that's just the starting point mm-hmm. and um you know i've done the big book study with a couple of different people that i know have struggled with alcohol but and the big book's a reference to 12 step yes it is but it's for any type of addiction um that um you know, people can get to know themselves and take a self inventory and really get down to the nitty gritty on what's going on that has caused this um, need to abuse a substance. Um, yesterday, I um, have a girlfriend that was here and she had to literally leave this town to deal with her alcoholism. And I saw it, everybody around her saw it because there are telltale signs, even if somebody's a functioning al- alcoholic. There are signs that um, will let you know that there's something going on. And so she left and went out to Phoenix. And uh, yesterday was her third year of sobriety. So um, we did a big group call and FaceTimed. And um, she's doing fantastic. Never looked better in her life. Isn't it amazing the turnaround people can make? Oh, my goodness. Yes. And sometimes that context has to shift. You can't stay around the same people in the same city if it gets... Once it crosses a certain certain threshold of severity, you got to get out of town. Exactly, and you know we moved and not come back probably right ever. Or? No, she comes to visit, yeah. but that's you know she had she has to stay out there, mm-hmm. um, and that was the case with my son. We moved school districts. I mean, it just we had to we had to get him as far away from where that issue is. Not that he couldn't find other people that are you know doing the same thing that he was, yeah. but um, at least he had an opportunity to. Um, have a second chance. You've got to uproot them and get them out of that familiarity that's going to right. eventually lead back to that, right. that bad spot. Right. I heard someone say the other day, it's hard to see what the label is when you're inside the jar. Oh, that's a good one. I haven't yeah. heard that one before. You mentioned your person was struggling with alcoholism. Um, everybody knew it, but she didn't, and then she finally realized. Mm-hmm. So I thought that w- that was poignant. Uh, something I also wanted to bring up too, and I'm not I'm not proud of this. I'm going to bring it up. I used to kind of dismiss addiction and drug addicts as being weak, yeah, like mentally weak, uh, uh, undisciplined, and a bad stigma, irresponsible people. And I kind of was like, you know what? I don't want them to die. But at the same, same time, I was kind of cavalier towards, well, if they're going to do it, you know, mm-hmm. it's not my, you know what I'm saying? And I'm not proud of that. And I've sh- and I've since shifted on that, and um, people like Doctor Phil and other experts in the psychology world have changed me on that. Plus, those personal stories I was telling you earlier. This is literally clinically and medically no different than a diabetic who can't process sugar that needs to take insulin. Absolutely. And I'm glad that we're shifting as a culture towards 
that mm-hmm. approach to it. Can you talk about that? Yeah, um, it, there's a need. When I do um, speaking engagements, um, I have everybody in the room show a raise of hand if they know someone, they have someone close to them, or um, they suspect somebody is struggling with a substance. And if they don't raise their hand, they're not being truthful to themselves because it is with one in three, one in five people, you're going to know somebody that is suffering with um, an addiction problem. Directly or even indirectly with a family member or a friend. Right, right, or their family. Um, And I I have countless stories um, when I was working with Operation Parent of these parents just that their children are dying of overdose and they don't even know what they took. They had no idea that, you know, this kid was flirting around with disaster and um, it's just sad. And yeah, I think that um, stigmatism started shifting probably nine, 10 years ago that we had to start looking at it differently. Mm -hmm. And I think the treatment community has been very, very helpful. Never ever did you ever see an ad on television for a treatment facility now you see them, mm-hmm. um, and, I'll, I'll, and I'll call out Landmark because I work directly with those folks, and they do a fabulous job. And um, so when we're working with folks and their employers, um, we can shift them to the, the best facility that we can. Um, I think our media has been helpful in shifting that paradigm um, in the right direction. You mentioned Landmark. I'm assuming you're referring to Landmark Recovery? Yes. Why don't we give them a plug? Tell people how they can contact them if they have a problem or they know someone that has a problem. Yeah, they're um, a local, regional company. Um, They have several different facilities around the state. Um, LandmarkRecovery.org is where you can reach them. Um, Their their main facility is on Fern Valley Road, and they are the most... Helpful, genuine people I could have ever met. It takes a special person to work in that. It does. And, you know, speaking of that, um, a lot of people that have had addictive issues become counselors. Of course. Yes, because firsthand they've had experience with it and can help guide that person through the tribulations. Yeah, and there's certain people, you, you know, we need folks who lived a clean life and played by the rules and graduated from college and got mm-hmm. their license in psychotherapy and all. We need those folks. Yeah. But for a certain subset of the, of the people impacted by addiction, on, only someone who's walked that path is going to get through to that person. Right. right. So you mentioned people who've actually recovered from addiction, go into helping others. I would think there's an instant credibility and authenticity that comes through. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, because they share their stories. They share other addict- addict stories. Um, so it makes it real. Mm-hmm. And um, several years ago, I sat on the state board under um, Father Bashir, uh, mm. Governor Steve. and um, Steve, is that right? Gary Bashir. Um, okay. Yeah, a senior, Bashir Bashir senior, senior yeah. of the drug, drug and alcohol counseling um, system. And what we did is we took in applications of people that wanted to become a drug and alcohol substance abuse counselor, and we approved or disapproved. And nine out of ten were people that are in recovery. Wow. Yeah. You know, I wanted to point something out for the audience. Um, It's obvious after all the things you've done sitting on the board for that state institution, um, implementing second chance programs, helping guide people through recovery and all that. There's a big difference 
in the service and the product you get when you're getting it from someone who actually cares and treats each case, even though it might have a file number and come through as a certain email or whatever, Mm -hmm. you treat that as a person, a human being there and not just a transaction. I I think that's important to point out. Thank you. Well, you're you're welcome. It's obvious. I mean, it's obvious. We, We all know when we do business with someone who actually genuinely cares and doesn't see them as another transaction, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's important, an important distinction to make. Um, one thing I wanted to mention, too, when it comes to therapy and getting help, whether it be uh, emotional trauma, addiction, whatever it might be, there's a lot of shame associated with that, right? Admitting you have a problem, you know, only crazy people go to get help. It's actually the opposite. The real shame is in not asking for help. Exactly. The crazy people are the ones that it would never occur to them to go get help, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think that's an important thing to point out. Um, Dave Ramsey tells people that there's crazy in every family. And if you don't think there is, then it's you. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's an important point. Um, we wanted to shift. You also ha- had some things you wanted to talk about regarding the um, the legal aspect of this. And was it, it the federal level? You brought some notes you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I did. Um, and I just pulled this off this morning, as a matter of fact, um, that... Um, there's this big argument over CBD and um, what levels, THC levels it can or cannot have. And let's clarify that for the audience in case they don't know. CBD is just a non-addictive, non-psychoactive mm-hmm. uh, form of, or you, you explain it's, it. It's, it's a form of the marijuana plant, hemp plant. Yeah. Um, and but it doesn't get you high. No, it does not get you high. No, um, no, no, no addiction aspects. Supposed, supposed to have lots of... Medicinal purposes, yeah, I use it, um, I, well, not since my knee replacement, but I used to put it on my knee to help with that inflammation and that pain, and it really does help. And that's one form of CBD cream? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it comes yeah. in all it, tinctures and um, gummies. It comes in all shapes and forms. And uh, my granddaddy used to grow hemp um, mm-hmm. back in World War II, and it's been shown throughout history how helpful hemp is and medicinal. It goes all the way back to early, early ancient China. Yeah. And you know, our forefathers grew it. Mm-hmm. So, um, you yep. know, there's nothing wrong with the plant. Um, and, and it does have medicinal purposes. And all too often it gets lumped into the anti-weed thing. And it's not even, I mean, it's not even similar to right. weed because there's no psychoactive effect. It doesn't get you high. There's no addiction aspect. Right. So what we're about to talk about is specifically CBD. Yes. Okay. okay. I just wanted to set that okay. for, up for people who, who don't know. Sure. Yeah. Um, They were in federal court, and this means the DEA and um, advocates for legalizing hemp, marijuana, industrial, and so forth. And um, they were arguing over a 2020 DEA rule, which the agency asserts that any hemp with elevated THC levels violates the Controlled Substance Act. Oh, and that's a serious act. That's That's, felony Yes, it is. Absolutely. Um, uh, The rule would effectively criminalize CBD production and virtually all hemp extraction. Wow. That's not good. That's not good. Um, Did they define what elevated THC level meant? or Anything over the .00039 level is considered a, now into t- the THC level. And that's and, that big debate over the Delta 8, Delta 9 um, derivatives. And so the argument being that, uh, or the implication being rather, that most CBD products now would 
be disqualified based on that new definition mm-hmm. of what elevated THC right. level would be? Right. Okay. And, you know, um, my friend I was talking about earlier out in Phoenix, um, when I went to visit her this about this time last year, um, curiosity got the cat. I just, I had to go see a dispensary. I had to try what everybody was talking about. And um, so... Nothing over that point zero 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 three nine mm-hmm. that they're claiming now can get you high. I ate a gummy. It didn't get me high. It it relaxed me, mm-hmm. but it didn't get me like woohoo high. Yeah. Um. And there were lines around the building at these dispensaries. We visited three of them, and um, people that obviously had medical issues going on, mm-hmm. waiting their turn to go in. Um. They had just legalized marijuana in Phoenix, um, in Nevada, out that way, um, January of last year. And, um, you know, that it's all, all shapes and forms. I mean, there was a brick wall just as this one, just lined with jars of, you know, purple haze and, you know, wacky, wacky weed or whatever yeah. that, you know, people could put buds. Um, and bud tenders are big deals. These people know their weed. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, you go in and you tell them what you want it for, what you're looking for. If you're looking for a good stoner type high that you're not like chilled out in the chair or mm-hmm. if you've got something you got to do and get going yeah. um it was just amazing to me so it, it can be helpful and to to criminalize hemp is just ridiculous even from the standpoint of industrialized hemp mm-hmm. to make clothing you know he thousands of products oh yeah. yeah oh yeah um you know but then you get into that why are they doing that and um we all know why they want to be able to control it and tax it and um you know now it's it was ruled um on the dea that they have no say in it they're out of it so um, they have no jurisdiction there they have no jurisdiction and um that uh, the decision uh, should reiterate that everyone in hemp knows that Congress doesn't want hemp treated like a controlled substance. That's a pretty strong statement. That is a very strong statement. So I was... um, I was glad to, that I had that. So this yeah. morning, I just pulled it off right before I left to come here. Let's do a quick uh, history lesson here, and correct me if I'm wrong. This dates back to things like reefer madness, mm-hmm. uh, propaganda, a lot of religiously motivated uh, opposition mm-hmm. to not 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 just weed, <clears throat> excuse me, but also uh, alcohol and so forth. Um, am I am I correct in understanding <clears throat> that? That ties back to the lobbyists also. Big tobacco had a big footprint mm-hmm. in, in the government and still does. Yep. Big alcohol, pharmaceutical companies mm-hmm. and all that. It dates back to those guys wanting control over that area so they can exploit it financially, correct? Yes, exactly. Is it also one of the reasons why we're just now in the last five years getting electric cars? Because <laughs> Detroit <laughs> had so many lobbyists and lawyers mm-hmm. and political influence in Washington. Yeah. I think that's fair to say. Uh, without getting too political here, I've never understood the crowd who says, well, my God and my Bible and my religion or whatever tells me I'm not supposed to do A, B, and C. That's fine. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. Why do you have to take it a step further than that and use the power of the government to stop other people from doing things like you know what i'm saying now there's an obvious thing we agree on like murder and rape and theft and stuff like that that's obvious criminal behavior no one's arguing for that Mm -hmm. you know decriminalization of that or legalization but i I think i think a good parallel here is gambling 
I am probably one of the most opposed to gambling people you'll ever meet. I think it's stupid, personally. I, I don't like gambling. I think, I I think life is a gamble as it is. I might get in my car and die on the way to work today, right? right. Um, I think it's a waste of money. I think these people are arguably being exploited and preyed on by these casinos. However, this is a free country, mm-hmm. right? And if people want to go into that casino and hand them their money and hand them their money mm-hmm. so they can build another casino that mm-hmm. will also take advantage of them as strongly as I am opposed to the gambling industry, a people are going to do it anyways. And B, we live in a free country. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a parallel For there. Now. <laughs> Hopefully. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, uh, kind of like addiction. You're fighting it the rest of your life. Right. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. But I just don't understand the crowd that says, I don't want to do marijuana. I'm, go- I'm going to tell you, you can't do it also. Um, so I, th- I wanted to get that out there because I think a lot of the opposition here is motivated and things like that. And I'll tell you something else I tell people too, and I'm not advocating for one side of the aisle or the other. In a free society, your culture and your population is always going to evolve towards more liberal views it's just the way it is the country as a whole today is more liberal than it was 30 years ago and that was more liberal than it was 60 years ago and so forth and so on so what i'm telling people is if you're this hardcore conservative republican you hate everything democrat and liberal um get used to it (laughs) because it's happening yeah and you can pull it back you can get your guy in office for four or eight years or gal um, and you can kind of slow it down a little bit but that is the trajectory that society and culture is on particularly in a free society um, so you might as well, you know, my, you can fight it all you want, but just at least acknowledge that. Does that make sense? It does. It's power. It's greed mm-hmm. and control. It's that's all that it, it bases down to. Um, when reefer madness went, you know, big and all the propaganda that was to save the tobacco industry because right. there was so much money involved in it. Yeah. Um, you know, so maybe the mindset's going to come along that, Hey, you know, particularly in, in Kentucky, we have great soil for growing marijuana. You know, let's shift gears a little bit. Yeah. Um, humid climate too, which right. is good for, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, we, we, we mentioned, uh, casinos earlier. I was thinking about, um, uh, you know, marijuana, you can, you can be, you can object to that. That's fine. But let's put it in context. Alcohol is completely legal and has been for a long time. And we know the damage that does to people's lives. Mm-hmm. We know about drunk driving accidents. Mm-hmm. We know about cirrhosis of the liver mm-hmm. and all types of other medical uh, and psychological problems oh, yeah. that either, either directly causes or indirectly contributes to, right? Yes. Cigarettes. Is there a more dangerous product on the planet than smoking a cigarette? or chewing tobacco or whatever. Oh and, my goodness, no. And it's just it's just common, you know, it's commonly accepted that these things are legal and people do it and you can go buy it. One thing that really impressed me with tobacco was CVS a few years ago said, we're not going to sell cigarettes anymore. You remember that? I do. I mm-hmm. admired that I so much because how much... Coming from a former smoker. <laughs> same here. I, I smoked cigarettes a little bit in mm-hmm. high school and college. Um, that took a lot of uh, courage. Yes. Right. And in a in in, a, in an open marketplace for I'm assuming CVS is a publicly traded company. Their ultimate li- or their ultimate responsibility is to their shareholders and to make profit, right? Mm-hmm. Raise the value of the stock, pay a dividend to the shareholders, and move on down the road. They had to take a hit from a from a business st- standpoint, from a revenue standpoint of not selling tobacco products. 
Uh, I was surprised more companies didn't follow suit, like Walgreens and other companies. But um, I am too, um, because it's it's not um, totally rare, but it's becoming more rare that people don't smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now being a former smoker, and I use Chantax to quit my addiction. If I even smell a cigarette, it makes me nauseous. It's funny you mention that. I'm in the same boat. They say that uh, people who hate cigarettes the most are ex-smokers. Mm-hmm. I guess because psychologically you, you had to train yourself to hate them, to quit consuming it, right? Yes. I always looked at it as a form of self-hatred. I was like, man, there's a lot of things I don't like about myself. Well, but I don't hate myself that much to keep smoking. No. <laughs> That's what it is. No, and it took a heart attack for me oh. to wake up. There you so, go. That'll yeah. do it. Yeah. Now, how long have you been no no cigarettes? Seven years. Oh, good for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, almost eight. And they say your lungs start repairing themselves they almost do. instantly. I have yeah. more capacity and, um, you know, can can do exercising and those kinds of things now that normally I would, or when I was smoking, I wouldn't have done. And we have a, a close friend of the family that is in late stage uh, lung cancer, mm. and he hasn't smoked for 40 years. And that's the thing about it. Even mm-hmm. if you're an ex-smoker, the damage might have already yeah. been done. Or it could have not been caused by that. It could have been genetic or some type of could environmental yep, thing. We be. don't know. Yep. I grew up in a house of uh, a guy that smoked. My father smoked in the house all the time. And uh, just that was the way it was. You smoked in hospitals mm-hmm. and airplanes. Yeah, you right? see, oh, exactly. I was going to say that. Yeah. yeah, airplanes. I remember that. Yeah. Um, I wanted to uh, recap uh, your this, our guest's information here in case you want to interact with her and learn more about her mm-hmm. business and hopefully do some business with her. Um, the com- company is the Genesis Shop. They don't just do drug screening. They offer a suite of services, a support services to, to help not just employers but employees to help remedy the, the thing that happens or the um, consequences of a, of a screen result. Um, where are you guys located? We're on Taylorsville Road in the Stony Brook area. Okay. Um, our phone number is 502-544-7400, and you can call and just ask a question. I have people do that all the time. Can you tell me if this is you know, going to cause me to be positive? Um, and just a prolifera of questions mm. that I get. Um, our website is www.thegenesisshop.com. There's a contact page on there that you can actually go to, set up a phone call or a video or Zoom call, or you want to meet in person um, to get on my calendar. Is there a preferred contact method, a phone call or internet? It doesn't matter to you? It doesn't matter. I'm going to respond to it personally. I have support staff that takes care of everything else so that I can stay on the front line. Um, and if they want to reach me by email, um, Lisa at the Genesis shop.com. You know, Perfect. just shoot me something quick. And if you, even if you just need a resource, I have tons and tons of resources and they're on our website as well. Support a local business that treats you like a human being and a person and not a, a transaction. Give them that phone number and that uh, website one more time. It's 502-544-7400. And the website is www.thegenesisshop.com. Perfect. Thank you for that. I wanted to segue to our uh, See Good to Be Good segment here. I wanted to thank you for your generous donation. Oh, you're welcome. To our nonprofit that my wife and I started. I like to ask people a few questions um, and uh, kind of related to um, doing good in the community. Uh, you've obviously given back a, a lot through your work and also your personal life. Um, why are you successful? And life, business, both? To the extent that you've been successful, why are you successful? Because I've been down that street of hard knocks. Um, I've been the one that has reached out for help at 
you know, points in my life. Um, I get joy, just joy from seeing other people be successful and be healthy and live their lives as much as they possibly can to the fullest. Um, I listen. I have a I have an empathy heart, an empathetic heart mm-hmm. um, that I truly care about people. You know, a lot of stuff goes on in people's lives, and you know, if you just need to lend an ear, I will lend it. Mm-hmm. Why are you happy? Why am I happy? Um, because I spent a lot of years not happy. <laughs> <laughs> is the theme here? You've learned the hard way. Yes, it is. You have a long so. list of things not to do. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Final question, what obligation do you feel to give back to your community and help others who are looking for an example of either personal and or professional success? Well, I think we all need to help each other. Um, you know, people struggle at different times in their, their life, and um, something as simple as giving somebody a smile as you walk past can make somebody's day. Um, buying a toy for their child or um, supporting um the Salvation for um, Children, Salvation Crusade Army. Crusade for Children, Salvation mm-hmm. Army, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the angel trees. It's just, uh, we have that in us to give back, and I think we need to open ourselves to be more of giving instead of taking and yeah. expecting. That's great. You know, we're told that uh, people, people who aren't generous are greedy, and we kind of demonize them. I, I look at it a different way. I, I'm sad for them. For them yeah. on what they're missing out. Yes. Because there's a unique form of contentment and joy and happiness you can only get from doing something for someone else, That's right? That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I feel an obligation as I climb various rungs of success on the ladder of success. I don't just get there and then say, oh, the view the, the view here is nice. I look mm-hmm. down and I'm like, oh my God, oh my gosh, look how many other people are standing at the base of that. Come li- up. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. And every rung I climb, I feel an ever-increasing obligation mm-hmm. to help other people because, A, it honors the folks who are higher up the ladder than I am that looked down and saw me and gave me a hand. Mm-hmm. And, B, um, those people need help. Yes. And I don't want I, – I personally don't want to miss out on, out on uh, you know, the feeling you get, the contentment, the sense of um, – uh, giving back by right. helping other folks. Yep. So Absolutely. I tend to word it that way. I feel sorry for folks who are greedy and not generous. That's a good way to put it. And I think something else needs to be said too. Gen- uh, fin- financial gifts are only one form of generosity. Yeah. You might not have a lot of money. You might live paycheck to paycheck. You can be generous with your time. Exactly. You can be generous just by, like you said, you listen to people, you lend them an ear. That's a form of generosity, showing someone empathy, compassion. Right. Uh, understanding right um, and, know, and I'm sorry go ahead no you no please, please. you know just something as simple um, as opening a door for somebody mm-hmm. or somebody that's in a wheelchair say hi how, how hard is that to do um, I, I just think that yeah I have speak from experience where I walked through part of my life like this and didn't care about anybody around me but once i opened up and started caring about people it's amazing how many people care back Mm -hmm. so yeah it's out there um let's give a plug for the landmark recovery one more time okay landmarkrecovery.org okay Um, if you have any uh um addiction issues feel free to reach out to them if you know someone if you've been impacted directly or indirectly by addiction please reach out the only shame is in not asking for help. That's right. Not asking for help. Well, I would like to thank you again for being here, uh, Lisa. Miss Lisa Lee with the uh, Genesis Shop. 
Um, if you would like to be a guest on our show or you would like help creating and or distributing your own podcast content, please contact us for more information. Uh, I'd like to thank our listeners and our sponsors for making this podcast possible and hopefully successful. And we will see you real soon on a future episode of the Respect the Math podcast.